Welcome back to the Christ in Culture, the show where we discuss culture as a means of evangelization by finding elements of Christ and his church revealed within. This is Clint. And this is Gordon. And we're excited to be back. Gordon, I just want to say, today I listened to the episode that you and Steve did on Corona and uh, two hurricanes or whatever you guys <laughs> called it. Yeah. And uh, no, it, it actually came up in conversation several times today. So big fan. Love the show. Like that episode came up or just yeah. the stuff we talked about? Yeah, just stuff that you guys were talking about because things have been kind of crazy at work and just life. I mean, it's there's a lot of stuff going on, but there's some stuff that you guys were talking about with like how this isn't going to end just because December 31st rolls around. You know, there's always going to be oh, like yeah. things happening, you know? The bane of what I think 2021 is. Yeah. And so I've been, I've been trying to take your guys's challenge the first challenge to heart of like there's a lot of negative stuff happening and there's a lot of us including myself who just want to complain about it but try and Change redirect the that. conversation yeah redirect the conversation I've been really bad about that too since that episode and I'm, now because of that episode i'm hyper aware of it yeah which is good though i mean that's at least it's a step like you can't yeah. do anything until you're aware of it but no i think that's an awesome challenge i'm excited that you guys did that hopefully people are are getting a lot out of it yeah it was just something that you know I noticed that week when we left and everyone was just talking about the, you know, two hurricanes. It was a really big deal. And uh, it was just another thing of 2020. And I was, I just remember driving. I was like, you know, what's going to be the bane of 2020 is that it's going to make every year after this extremely bad, unless we change the way we're talking about it. Yeah. And I think we're just hyper focused on, I think you mentioned this too. So I feel like I don't want to just rehash that episode, but like we're hyper focused on, the negative because now we're expecting it we want right. we want the next thing so we can it, we can fulfill that trend of oh, 2020 is going to be the worst year ever well now we need to find the next worst thing to make that like a self-fulfilling prophecy you know what yeah. i mean yeah so yeah it's, it's it's deadly i've fallen into it a lot this year but it's definitely something we got to break all right speaking of breaking habits we are supposed to be doing exodus day 91 and <laughs> I think we mentioned the other day, we're not doing great at this. It feels weird calling it day 91. Yeah, I just like, I prefer to call it Exodus 90, but people who know Exodus 90 are like, wait, didn't you already do that? It's only 90 days. Why is it six months later and you're still doing it? Well, that's the thing. Like, I feel like one month, two months later, calling it day 91 makes sense. But now that it's like been six to what feels like a year later, I feel like, you know, you can start calling it 92 or day 100 or something <laughs> we're at least on day 93 at this point <laughs> yeah well whatever you want to call it the, the next exodus program we are supposed to be fasting from media and just technology right now i think you and i mentioned it on last week's episode or whenever we were talking about this but i've been doing awful yes i think you said you, you've been doing pretty rough too i honestly i don't know if i could tell you what our asceticisms are right now oh really yeah I think this is the only one that I've really been struggling with. It's just, and technology is not something I'm usually, that I usually have an issue with letting go. But man, I've just been, I don't know if it's like the new house, the new living situation, and just being mm. surrounded by all this, these TVs and, and video games and stuff like that. And I, yeah, it's definitely a time killer. But I'll tell you the one thing, whether it's an asceticism or not, the one biggest takeaway from day 91 or Exodus 90, whatever it's called is no meat on Fridays. I, yeah. I really hold to that as just like, even if I wasn't doing this anymore, I would still do that. Yeah. I think I skipped like two Fridays just because of like birthdays or, you know, we were at someone else's house and they made the dinner. But otherwise, I, me and Lizzie, when we try to cook and something, we really go out of our way to not eat meat on Fridays now. See, that's something that for the last several years I've wanted to get into because it, it's supposed to be a practice that we do throughout the entire year as Catholics. But in America, we, we, we just, we don't anymore. And so I've been wanting to get into it, but I've like psyched myself out. You know, I'm like, there's no way I can go a whole year or the rest of my life without having meat on Fridays. I was just like, there's no way, but it hasn't been that bad. No, I've discovered two amazing recipes because of that. Yeah. Fish. Yeah, that we cook on, uh, no potato soup. Oh, which is phenomenal. And it's really easy to make. And then we make a, uh, like this roasted red pepper and Parmesan pasta where that's like the sauce and it's phenomenal. That's amazing. And now we make it all the time. 
yeah it, it has been cool to like try new things like learn to cook new things and stuff like that mm-hmm. so not that it's a challenge for you guys but maybe consider at least uh a couple of fridays a month or something just not eating meat see if you guys can do it and you'll realize it's not that bad but going back to things that we're supposed to be doing and not doing well media what are you taking in right now gordon uh, a lot of the same stuff we Lizzie just finished the, her rewatch of Parks and Rec that I mentioned last week yesterday. So we really haven't started any new show yet. We're kind of figuring out what we want to watch. But I did start a miniseries. I only have one episode left on Netflix called High Score, which is like the history of video games. I saw that when I was scrolling through. Yeah. Really good. There's would... a lot of like classics, I'm assuming. Yeah. It starts from like the creation of Nintendo to like everything else and it starts from like the the 60s or whenever you know computers started onward and then it, each episode breaks into something different but it's uh it's really cool and really fascinating to learn about you want to hear a really bad dad joke related to that sure okay so i got these really awesome socks i don't know if you can see them here they're nintendo socks they have nintendo mm. controllers all over them i call them my nintendo socks because <laughs> 10 toes there you go uh <laughs> moving on <laughs> okay so you you started watching that so far you yeah we watched it there's only six episodes we watched five of them but it's taken us like four days okay so really taking it slow and then i'm still playing that harry potter game from time to time you know i'm in year three of my high school magical wizards i'm on the quidditch team now Dang. i'm working my way up to it four more to go four more years Really? There's seven years, right? I don't know. I guess that makes sense. Wait, right? yeah. I don't know. You'll be taking your owls in your fifth year, I think. It's been a there while. I just started herbology, some year three. Get some of that mandrake root. Yep. Uh, and then the, what was the other thing? There was something else. It was the only thing I really wanted to talk about. <laughs> I don't remember. I literally just blanked. So what about you? Uh, I've still been taking in a lot, man. I watched the original Jurassic Park, which I've still never seen all of the Jurassic Park movies. I know we did an episode on Jurassic Park a while back, but I've only ever seen the first one. So sorry to people who are huge fans of that. And then something I've actually been really getting into recently is the show Hot Ones, which you've brought up on here before. And I've seen a few episodes here and there, but it's the Hot Wings TV show where they interview while eating Hot Wings. And... I am like obsessed with it right now. The guy that does the interviewing is phenomenal. He's amazing. He's so good. Yeah. Like his questions are actually like not just base shallow questions. And he's able to ask them even when he's like burning and can't focus on anything else. He's just very, very good. Very good at controlling the conversation and directing it really, really well. So big fan of that. Since I'm watching a show about interviewing, decided to watch the movie, The Interview which is one of those hilariously awful movies. So we'll give you a, a mature audience warning on that one. Don't watch that if, you are, if, you, if you're under 18, for sure. And then one of my favorites from growing up that I w- went back and watched is Kangaroo Jack. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. The kangaroo who's like steals the jacket on accident. Yep. Such a good movie. So funny. I was listening to Jesus is King by Kanye West for a while because I got Chick-fil-A the other day and I was just like closed on Sunday. I was jamming to that for a while. And then two more things I'll mention because they connect with you because you're actually the one that brought them up to me. Taskmaster. I've been introducing my roommates to Taskmaster and James Acaster, the comedian. And they are... James Acaster? Yeah. Did you check him out finally? Oh, I've been watching him for months, dude. Okay, I don't, I don't know. Did you watch his like Netflix specials? No. So I, I watched some of his like small stand-up, like not any big stages or anything. But then I watch a lot of his stuff on like British TV shows, where it's yes. just like off yes. the cuff, like random improv, and it's hilarious. My favorite comedian of all time. He, we discovered him on Netflix. He has a special, like you know how like Dave Chappelle has those specials, but they're three different episodes. Mm-hmm. He has one of those. So he has three hour long specials and you have to watch them in order because he always does callbacks to the previous special. He's so good at that. Oh, he's brilliant. 
like th- that's part of the thing i don't like watching really? just like snippets of his stuff because so much of his stuff is like a witty callback to a joke that wasn't funny half an hour ago but now it is just because he played it so perfectly it's it's hilarious yeah and it, you got to be okay with british humor though oh i know i tried to show my family we were in georgia and they were all bored yeah but me and lizzie were cracking up i mean yeah. there was there's one bit in the stand-up maybe all three where he pretends to be an undercover cop playing a stand-up comedian and he just he just drives that home is this the one where where he starts on his knees yeah oh yeah i have seen that that's on netflix that's on netflix oh i totally watched it on youtube instead okay that's funny i love the starting on my knees (laughs) yeah uh anyways james a caster hilarious if you are okay slash interested in british comedians you gotta watch him it's a must and that's basically it. I know it's a, it's a lot of stuff. I remembered, plus I thought of another thing. Okay. So I forgot about a movie we watched called The uh, Unicorn Store, which what? is, yeah, it came on Netflix like right after Captain Marvel, but it has that actor in it. And it's her with Samuel Jackson, like together again. Honestly, like, we could, it'd be an easy podcast, but essentially she's like a grown up, but she's still very much a kid at heart she like wears really rainbow and flamboyant outfits she loves to paint but just like rainbows she still wants a unicorn and samuel jackson is this pop-up store that she's invited to that no one else can see that's going to sell her a unicorn and she has to do all these things and like it's just like a coming of age story where she's like you know is this real like can i do this no one's going to believe me and she's chasing after this unicorn which is essentially to be known and loved for who she is rather than trying to be this dull adult Hmm. yeah that would be an easy episode yeah what is this season one (laughs) (laughs) it was good but what i was really what i really wanted to share was on sunday me and two other friends started an rpg that's not DD. we're starting a cyberpunk rpg called cyberpunk 2020 so we we went through some rules and did character building and at first it was a huge learning curve and I wasn't like super gung-ho about it. I didn't do a lot of my homework. And then I spent the last two days on my free time, like Monday and Tuesday, just like refining my character and like reading up more on the rules. And now I'm like all amped about it. That's awesome. I, I don't think you ever watched the show Dragon Prince. That's another thing I've been watching recently, but it's like a kid show. Yeah, I know, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, so it's from the same writers as Avatar and it's phenomenal. But I just learned that so they're coming back for four more seasons, which is super exciting. But in addition, they're going to have a RPG game based in that world and a like a comic, I think, and maybe a video game or something, like a whole bunch of stuff coming. Nice. But I'm super excited for the RPG because it's, it's just a really cool, unique world. I feel like there's a lot of fantasy worlds that are kind of just like redone versions of something else. Right. But it's, it's very unique and I'm excited for it. Yeah, this is... It's an interesting world doing being cyberpunk because like you don't really get classes, you get roles. So like I'm a media guy and So you're a youth minister in the church in twenty twenty, basically. You're the you're the media guy. Well <laughs> more like news agencies. Oh, okay, okay. Never mind. We don't we don't do that. But like money is critical in this RPG where like I have to pay for my house rent monthly. I have like a monthly income to pay for a cell phone service like all that stuff like money is power essentially and it's as well as built-in cyber tech but yeah it's really fascinating really confusing at first but you get the hang of it and that's it cool speaking of uh unique and weird worlds Mm -hmm. what are we talking about today we're going to talk about the netflix tv show slash comic book umbrella academy which we have mentioned on this show, I feel like, multiple times. It was a show, I think I mentioned two or three episodes ago, that I felt uncomfortable tackling, but really wanted to. We actually, you and I were going to do like... It's like a seven-part blog series. Yeah, seven-part blog series uh, when the first season came out. And just it's just kind of daunting because we could literally do an episode on each character individually and just each episode. But Steve had recently watched it, and we, we, me and Steve were going to actually eventually record it and so I kind of like threw some notes on a sheet to make sure I was prepared. And here we are. 
Not, not with Steve. Look at us. Yeah. Who would have thought? thought? <laughs> yeah. Did you know that's from Hot Ones? Yeah, I did. Okay. That was one of the first episodes I watched. Okay. I still just love you that. Quote, just because you quote that all the time. Yeah. So if you don't know, here's a summary I have on my notes. I'm just going to read it verbatim on what the Umbrella Academy is. And it's basically, it was a comic book written by the My Chemical Romance lead singer, Gerard Way. And he helped orchestrate the TV show too. And so the story is that on one day in 1989, 43 infants were inexplicably born to random, unconnected women who showed no signs of pregnancy the day before. Seven were adopted by a billionaire industrialist whose name is Sir Reginald Hargreaves, who creates the Umbrella Academy and prepares his quote unquote children to save the world. In their teenage years, though, the family fractures and their team disbands. We fast forward to the present time, which is when the show picks up and starts, when the six surviving members of the clan have to reunite upon the news that Hargreaves, or their dad or adopted father, has passed away. And so they work together to solve the mystery surrounding their father's death, but divergent personalities and abilities again pull their estranged family apart, and a global apocalypse is another imminent threat. So in a nutshell, there was 43 babies born from 43 different women with no connection to each other or reason. They were not pregnant the day before they all suddenly were. And this Sir Reginald Hargreaves kind of adopts seven of them and creates kind of like an X-Men group, but like a really sad X-Men group. And they're raised under poor circumstances, which we'll get into later. And then they break apart and they come back together for the funeral. And when they come back for the other funeral, things aren't right. And so they become kind of a super group again. But because they never have gotten along, they always just do way more damage than good. And there's an apocalypse. So <laughs> I love how you just casually throw that in. And there's an apocalypse. And there's an apocalypse. So. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that the My Chemical Romance singer was the creator of all this. He is the creator of the yeah graphic novels and comics. And there's a few. I don't think he still creates them. He might, but I think he's it's I think he's wrapped that up. So I think there's like three or five. Don't quote me on that. I have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, but it's really good. And so to crack open more of this, there are a lot of characters. So I'm gonna go over different ones in case you haven't seen it or if you have. And I didn't realize this what? I was gonna say before we jump into that, uh can I throw one thing? Yeah, go ahead. Introduction. Yeah. So I think there is a pretty obvious but not very solid connection that we can draw just from the introduction of the 43 kids that were miraculously born to mothers who had no cause to be expecting so you could kind of connect that with the miraculous birth of christ um the the virgin birth of christ and that kind of thing i think that's a pretty shallow comparison just because we don't know yet even through two seasons what caused it but I think that's a, a pretty obvious connection before we even dive into the characters themselves. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to say that. That's true. Uh, something I didn't realize until I was forming these notes is that, and I don't know if this is necessarily true, but I think like the characters in the comic book or the graphic novels have like superhero names. And we never really get those names in the show. We just get their real names. And so on Wikipedia, Sir Reginald Hargreaves, their dad, is actually referred to as the monocle. And it's kind of like he he's, wears like a t- you know, top hat suit type thing with a monocle. And so I don't know if that's more of like his comic book name, but that's the main one character, which I already mentioned, you kind of know his whole story. There's Pogo, who's pretty great, but also not that great. Um, and he is a chimp who, when you first meet him in season one, is like, He's walking, talking, and pretty much raises the kids more than the dad does. And he's just like the assistant to the dad. And then season two, you learn how that came to be. There's Grace, who is, once again, you that's like unfolding thing. Season one, it is this robotic woman or a robot created to look like a woman you don't really know who acts as their mother and they call her mom and all these things. In season two, you learn more about that, which I won't spoil for you. Did you have something you want to say? 
No, I was just going to say they didn't realize that she was robotic, right? Until late in Oh, yeah, that might be true. Season one. Sorry if I spoiled that for season one. I don't remember season one that much, but yeah, that is true. And then we have the seven kids that he adopted, and I'll go over each of those individually. We have no, the, and they're actually, he, the dad just calls them by numbers. So he calls them one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. And I think for a while growing up, that kind of sported those numbers. So number one, as we know in the show, is Luther or Luther Hargreaves. They're all last name Hargreaves, but Luther. Um, but in the comic book, he's called Space Boy. And essentially, his power is just like super strength. He was kind of given like chimp DNA, and that changed the way he matured and grew. And so he has like a human body, but his chest and arms are very, are almost look like a gorilla. And because of that, he's able to withstand like his skin can like be in space as long as he still has like some breathing apparatus. So as long as he has a helmet, he can be in space. Which is why it's called Space Boy because he can withstands like the no gravity and the pressure and the no air elements of space, unlike a human would. There's Diego, who's number two in the comic book. He's called the Kraken, and his ability is essentially he's just like a really trained assassin. Well trained assassin. He uses knives, and we don't really see it that well in season one. But essentially, he can manipulate the movement of knives, so he can move them through air. We, can, we see that a little more in season two. We have Allison. Her uh, name in the comic book, she's number three, is The Rumor. And I actually learned, and this is actually common for a lot of them, the superpowers they're they shown in the show aren't necessarily their exact superpowers in the comic book. I think the comic book superpower for Allison is actually cooler. In the comic book, she can manipulate reality by lying. So I think what that means is like she can say, like, you know, there's a pink elephant over there. And like, it's there. Yeah, it's this this kind of trope, I guess, has been used in a couple fantasy things too, where a lot of the times in different fantasies, the power of like words, like there's a certain language that has the element of truth to it. So anything you say in that language is automatically true. And that in itself has a lot of connections to like the Christian idea of God and like the, the idea of word having power, like God being... Christ being the word uh, and that speaking, if you say anything, it automatically becomes truth because you can't speak a falsity in that language. Right. And that's kind of the idea of, of her superpower, I think. Right. In that form. Yeah. In the show, superpower, which is probably why she's called the rumor and that's where they kind of contrived it this way, is essentially mind control uh, where she can say, I heard a rumor and whatever she says after that, the person that hears it will either believe or do so you can say i heard a rumor that you won't speak to me for the next 30 minutes and that person will have to like is forced to follow through that would be an awkward podcast (laughs) well she ends up doing that with someone in season two and yeah it gets the power is insane yeah and then klaus is one of my favorite characters he's number four he's called the seance in the graphic novel and essentially he can see the dead. Um, he can like, he, for a lack of better words, and this is kind of how they talked about it. And I think it's probably how it's portrayed. He's kind of like a walking Ouija board where he's just kind of like this in between to the other side. He even has like yes and no in the show tattooed to his hands to kind of portray that idea where, yeah. And, and it, they added a lot of elements to that more in the show where, you know, he can manipulate some of the spirits' abilities that they have any into the material world. And they even showed later on that spirits can, like, if he allows them to take control of his body, so he's almost like a vessel. It's really interesting. And it's not always something he can control either. Because I think as Christian Catholics, sometimes we can, we can hear the idea that he is a, a Ouija board, a human Ouija board, and just be like, okay, he's automatically evil because obviously that's a a sinful thing to do. Right. But he doesn't always have control of that. And this is kind of like a power that was given to him that he didn't choose. And there, there are times where he kind of like falls into reluctantly giving into his powers. But I feel like throughout the two seasons, he's not ever super thrilled about the whole idea of it. And no, I mean, haunted by it. It's not like he has a choice to turn it off. I do think he probably could control it. Yeah. If he had control over himself. 
Exactly. The issue is that he was like tortured with this as a kid where his dad would just lock him in like a room with like ghosts that he didn't know. And just to the point where at the age of 16 or younger, a little, maybe a little older, he started just doing drugs and drinking. And that's pretty much what he's used to doing to numbing all that. And because of that, he has no control over it. But yeah, it's a good, it's a good point to make. Uh, we have another one of my favorite characters. They call him the boy in the comic book. Well, they also call him number five in the comic book, but they just call him number five. He is number five. They call him five because his ability is essentially time travel. And this is, it's also kind of complicated because they don't do this in the show, but in the comic book, it's time travel. And then he gets trained later on to, to do it so quickly or in such a way that he can actually learn to teleport. Wait, is that right? No, 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 no. In the, that's in the show. In the comic book, he's learned to do it in seconds. So like, you know, try to just jump like a second ahead or a few minutes ahead, which they kind of try to touch on in season two. And in that way, he can like what appears to be teleporting because he can go forwards and then backwards, but he's never, he doesn't actually have the ability to teleport. We're actually in the show he has both the ability to time travel and to kind of like manipulate space and time and teleport. He disappeared at one point and came back and he was gone for so long that everyone around him forgot what his name was and he forgot it himself. And so that's why they call him five because nobody knows what his real name is anymore. He had basically lived an entire life in this alternative timeline. Yes. So he, he jumped forward in the future and then couldn't figure out how to jump back and kind of like lost control and then tried jumping back and eventually makes it. But on his way back, even though he lived like an entire life and was an old man coming back, reverted him to a boy in the show. He ages in the comic book. He doesn't age. He's stuck in this form forever. So he's almost immortal as well. Hmm. Unless someone like decapitates him. He has the powers of every major assassin and killer like built into him because uh, he works for this agency that it's a little bit later down, but called the Tim's Agency. And when he started working there, this goldfish guy essentially tried, decided to put every skill set of every major like killer in him. So he's a, if he just wanted to kill you or even had the thought like, I'm going to kill you, like you can't stop it. He Basically to make him the perfect assassin. Yes, and he is. So number six, I know there's a lot of a lot of names and stuff, but you don't remember them. Number six is Ben. He's called the horror. Essentially, he can he's kind of like Klaus in the way of allowing spirits into the material world. He's he allows creatures from other uh, what's the term other dimensions and things into the material world and you never really see what those creatures are you usually just see like giant tentacles and stuff coming out and attacking uh, in season one of the show he's already passed away uh, from a from the loss of or, or the mistake of like a failed thing when they were kids so he's dead but because klaus's power we see him throughout the show because klaus can see him and uh, allow him to still use his ability then we have vanya who's number seven for all the time she was there growing up. She never had any powers. Um, but in season one, we kind of learned that's not true. She's called the white violin and she plays the violin, but she can kind of manipulate sound waves. I don't really know how to explain it, but she's extremely powerful. She's probably the most powerful of the seven. Yeah. She, like you said, manipulates sound waves, but it makes it almost like supersonic blasts out of them sometimes but there's there's so many different things that she can do yeah she's kind of learning that she can control it she can like make people float like kind of like chokehold type thing she can float a ton of different stuff then there's the temps agency where five works for and then klaus and diego actually technically work for them in the comic books too or three of them at least do and they are this agency that sit outside of time that they make sure everything happens the way it should. So like one of the th themes in season two, one of the themes in the comic books is the assassination of JFK. And 
there's a point where someone goes to try to stop it in the comic books and they send two of the other ones to go stop the actually five is the one that goes to try to stop it and they send two of them to go stop five from stopping it because the assassination is supposed to happen if it doesn't happen their dad gets what he wants and i don't know what that is but that's what i read from the comic books that's not the same in the show but that's what it is in the comic books. And so like, they're just making sure things are supposed to happen, even if it appears in our lens that it's bad, which already I think there's also a theme there. I don't know if you want to speak some more since I'm talking a lot. Yeah, sure. That's exactly what I was thinking of as you're kind of describing the, the agency, but it's kind of, again, not a perfect analogy because no. they are pretty evil and they're assassins, but it's this idea of a, an agency or... Oh, that's kind of interesting, interesting too, because I think in philosophy, an agent is anything that moves something from like the potential to act into action itself. Mm. Uh, so in, in a way, I think God, well, philosophers are probably going to correct me on this, but it, it's <laughs> kind of, it's kind of an agent, right? Cause he's, he moves things from potential into, into being. So, so an agent outside of time who is trying to like make sure things happen in the appropriate way. Obviously we have free will. And so God has, I think we've mentioned this even just last week in a couple of different episodes throughout our history on this show, the difference between God's perfect and permissive will. So perfect is what he wants. Permissive is what he allows based off of our decisions. So there's, there's that kind of going off of that then with a lot of the times we see things happening that we don't really understand and we say like god why are you allowing this to happen or why why are you doing this to us and we don't see the big picture because we only see what's immediately in front of us and a lot of the times we're we're kind of blinded by our emotions or our personal attachments to things Mm. and so we don't see the big picture and so we, we ask those questions whereas god being outside of time and completely like all seeing and all knowing knows exactly what's going on and can find the best good that comes out of the most evil. And so we can kind of trust in his omniscience and his, in his power and in his all knowingness and just know that he knows better than we do. You know, that's, that's ultimately what faith comes down to is like having faith in, in this being that is beyond us. Right. And we humble ourselves and accept that there is something greater than us out there. Yeah. From there, we have four more, and these are basically people that work for the Temps Agency. Not a lot there, just wanted to mention them. The next two are another one of my favorites, and actually one of the things the show changes that I think they did for the better, and that is Hazel and Chacha. Uh, in the comic book, they work for the Temps Agency. They're basically like bounty hunters sent to fix any loopholes or anything they, they want to go out and change, and like people went rogue. And in the comic book, that's all they are ever and they never have faces they just wear these ridiculous cartoony masks and you never really know who they are they don't have any character development they're just trained assassins in the show that's the case for most season one and then one one of them changes and he's like a phenomenal phenomenal character i think it's hazel is that the man yeah okay yeah hazel is he's great he's great in the show they did he's a really all, he's in mindhunter too I don't know if yes. you know that. Yes, he's the first serial killer in my hunter. There's the conductor. Well, technically they're not the same person. So the conductor is a is a big bad in the comic book who takes a hold of Vanya's powers and learns she's powerful and trains her to kind of create the end of the world by creating a certain type of music in an orchestra. And then there's Leonard Peabody and Harold Jenkins which is this big bad in season one. And he essentially does that. But according to Wikipedia, they're not the same person because the way the conductor goes about it is very different and so on. But I think the boyfriend, right? Vanya's boyfriend. Right. I think they were trying to touch on like making him like essentially saying like that's the conductor without like a nod to it. Yeah. It was just a nod. Okay. Uh, There's the handler who is the big bad in season two. She's essentially just kind of like one of the main leaders of the Tim's agency. And she just, she really wants five to work for her because he's the biggest assassin. And if she can't have five, then she wants all of the Umbrella Academy like dead. 
And then another great, great adaptation from the TV show. These people don't exist in the comic books, but the Swedes. They're great. I based my cyberpunk character off of one of the Swedes. They look just <laughs> like the big one with the scar. That's funny. They're my favorite because they remind me of Clockwork Orange, which is like I'm a super big fan of. And that's such a weird movie. I know, but I that's one of my favorite books, and it's so good. So it is weird, and if you know know nothing about it, parental advisory yeah. to the tenth degree. But it's it's the book is really good as well as awesome. Or just don't watch it. <laughs> yeah, read it. Read it. Or read it's it. Good. Okay. Yeah. Maybe. And that's really like everyone you need to worry about, mostly just the seven kids because that's all it's really focused on. And I'm not going to get into anything about the show, like storyline. So if you haven't seen it, you can kind of still listen to this. But I'm just going to touch on, I mean, you could, I could almost do, I feel like the same podcast with X-Men because that's essentially kind of the idea. It's like X-Men, but they're not that great because they're not really trained to be great. Um, my f- the first theme, and actually, I don't know if you already moved down, but don't look at it. Oops, I've already read all your notes. <laughs> I know. But I was wondering, my first theme, and this is the only th- theme I really thought of when I saw him, was like, since there's seven kids, do these seven happen to represent seven deadly sins at all? This was originally what we were going to write those seven blogs on, I think. Yes, but because it's been so long, I forgot season one, and I forgot like what each one, like what I felt passionately each one represented. And so okay. I had to like Google this. And I opened like four different articles and each one had each seven at like seven different of the sins. Yeah. And so I was wondering what youth could like, if you could categorize them based on the top part of these notes and see like, where would you put them? I mean, like I said, I've already kind of, I know. Did you agree with what I did then? Would you be like, yeah, that's that's about right. Yeah, I, I did. Okay. The only one that I, I guess two, that I, I would be they like, kind of overlap I, a little. I need explanation a little bit would be Allison. You put greed and then Ben for sloth. I don't disagree. I feel like those are just kind of harder ones to categorize. So, right. So other than that, I think it's spot on. Okay. So we'll just go down one through seven. Yeah. Let's break Luth- it down. Luther, Luther is, I put lust. A lot of this goes into their backstory and more of their character development. So Luther has a relationship with Allison which people are kind of weird about or not like a relationship, but just like a love interest. It's kind of like a, are they, aren't they kind of thing. Right. And they've never done anything. They haven't like kissed or anything, but like he likes her a lot and, and she likes him too. But yeah, a lot of his downfall comes from like acting out of that. I think another thing he struggles with that I, I almost had on here for a while is, is pride. He has pride too, because he's, number one and he wants to be the leader but his biggest thing is lust in the show and just like really allowing that to control his life yeah his thing to me feels more like a sense of duty being put as number one he feels like he it's almost like pride that he thinks he should have but doesn't because he never feels qualified to be number one but feels like he has to be it seems like and he always seems to fall short and he doesn't realize how much that's devastating him until partway through season one, I think. That's a good point. And so lust actually worked perfectly because it's not even like he's lust, like the, the emotions he has for Allison screws up his judgment, but also like he has lust for approval. Actually feeling, yeah, actually feeling like he could fulfill the role of number one. Yeah. Yeah. Diego is wrath. That's like a no brainer. He like say he's a trained assassin. He, he just wants every, to fight. He does, but everything he everything he does stems out of father wounds, which is really the only other big theme I have for the show because they all have father wounds. But he just wants to be good enough. He wants to be number one. And so his biggest beef is always with Luther, and he's number two, and he could have been number one. And so he just, at any time he goes solo, like he leaves the other seven, six to do anything on his own. And like, if people get in the way, he's just going to kill them to be like, that's my power. I'm good at it. Boom. And it, it's all from rage and anger and from not being number one. Yeah. Allison is greed. Hers was really hard. And so was Ben's, but 
one of the articles when I was kind of comparing, I was like, you know, that makes the most sense. In season one, she, when she leaves, when they split up as kids, she uses her powers to become a famous movie star. Boom. You're right. And so really, and you kind of see see it in season two where she does it for good, but it's still out of greedy nature where she uses her power to make like a huge movement for the oppression of like the Jim Crow laws and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the reasons why I struggled to see greed as hers was because she recognized it and tried to avoid it where she didn't even use her power for a good chunk of the show because she realizes that she was using it for her own selfish gain and that it often led to something bad. Right. So like she has become aware of it and try to overcome it, but but she so does like that's her biggest temptation is becoming greedy with the ability to really get and do whatever she wants. Yeah. No, I see uh, that now. Klaus is gluttony just because as I mentioned earlier, the, the drugs and he's, he's addicted. He's a bad addict problem. And that is a, that's mo- almost all seven typically, but it really stems from like an over obsessive form of intaking drugs or drinking or whatever. And that's, that's what he does. Um, he's also very slothful, but yes, that's true. I also put listening to the dead. That's not like a bad thing, but I put that note as in like, as in like a connection to the saints. Like he can connect. He has this connection to prayer of like being able to hear. I don't. I don't know. Like you know, like this. Like prayer is like this conversation, and we can pray to other people. Like I said, that's one of those things that you're saying. It's not a. Yeah, it's not a clear connection. It's it's definitely like one of those stretches because he's clearly. I mean, he's the seance. He's clearly a Ouija board. So what he's doing is a big no-no. A lot different than talking to the saints. Yeah, uh, but, but I, I can see your connection. But the reason I put that is because there was one article that said like here's their here's the sin they are, but here's the opposite of that. Like here's how to fix. And they put listening to the dead as like the answer to his gluttony. And I actually really like that because when you think about it, like the reason he's gluttonous is to numb those voices. Most of his other siblings don't know that he can see or hear Ben because he doesn't, he chooses to ignore it. He chooses to lie, all these things. But if he actually like sat and listened to these people that he has his power to like see, then he'd almost probably want to change and try to hone this power more and like probably stop doing a lot of things that he does that's interesting because now that you mentioned that just looking at some of the other ones i think a lot of them have different things i can think of yeah like allison for example her greed was kind of reduced or at least put on the back burner while she had this other purpose right and so this service of uh of others like laying down her own desires to to serve others and to try and make a difference kind of helped her overcome greed for for a while it seemed like and then luther with his lust again it's like this service of trying to be the leader but yeah i, I think there's a, a few different things in there definitely yeah uh five is pride because that's of, an easy one <laughs> yeah and it's annoying at first but you kind of you kind of begin to understand i mean he he tries so hard sometimes to get everybody to help or do their end of things and they it just never always works but i'm not justifying his pride i'm just saying well a lot of that stems from the fact that he's seen so much of the timeline right and he's the one that understands like how serious things are where everyone else is so focused on their immediate relationships or their he's also like an 80 year old and like a 12 year old body yeah. So his patience is thin and he's like super wise, but yeah. So he's prideful because he assumes he's the best. He knows he's the best. And he, you know, kind of like Diego usually goes off on his own to solve the issue because if everyone else is not going to worry about it or take it seriously, then he doesn't need them. Ben, this is the only one I really disagree with. And I really, there's really nothing because we haven't really experienced Ben. I mean, I think another thing we could put under Ben is lust. And that's really just like the lust for life, which we really see in season two. But they put sloth just because he's put in the back burner. And the best explanation the article put was in season one, he's just, he just doesn't really expire, uh, not expire, aspire to use his powers and to like 
do good and it's probably because of what his powers are and like how hideous and all these things are and we see that in one of the flashbacks in season one where it shows them doing this helping this bank robbery and they're like ben like do it and he's like no like i don't want to and he chooses. he's the only one that chooses not to use his power and that is kind of ultimately what comes to like i think i think that's when he dies but i might be wrong and now we see him like we don't see him at all and he's like even though he's a ghost and it's just like he's not utilized in the show I 100% agree with that now. So I'm, I'm glad that you explained these because I think that is actually a better characterization of what sloth is than what we normally think. Because we normally think just being lazy. Mm-hmm. But sloth in, in this regard is more of like the ability to do something and feeling like... I just had the words and I lost them. But like not desiring to do something when you can, you know? Right. Yeah, and that's, I mean, the big, like a passivity. the big easy trope with X-Men or this is that like each person has a unique gift and talent and power. Same with us. And there's going to be a, an uncomfortable time where we need to use those gifts and talents or like it's useful. But if it's inconvenient to us or, or you know, we really don't want to, or even if our gifts and talent like are kind of embarrassing or something, I don't know what, it, but you know, kind of opting out. And I was talking about this was a family member of Lizzie's actually last week. You know, there's those, there's sinning, which is sins of things that we do, but then there's sin of omission, which is when we, it's the things that we choose not to do when we, when we could have. And that's kind of where sloth sits. Yeah. That noonday devil type thing. Exactly. Yeah. And, it's especially interesting with him because his motivation seems to be a fear of hurting himself and others because he can't control the beast right. when they and possess him. And most people do die when he uses his powers. Right. And so it's, it comes out of a place of like good. But there's something to that though of like, is the fear for ourself or for others? Right. Mm-hmm. Because if we don't act out of fear for ourselves, that's, in, in a way that's selfishness, like to a certain extent, right? Like you don't have right. to put like be reckless and endangering yourself for no it's reason, hard. but like different gifts require different sacrifices. And some gifts are going to require a very, very great sacrifice. That doesn't seem fair, but that's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And especially like, so we, we work for the church in, in one function or another, right? We are put in a place where, our actions are going to have more consequences than others. You know, same thing. Like if you, if you're put in a position of power, your responsibilities, your actions are going to have bigger consequences. They're going to have bigger sacrifices probably. And that's just takes that much more control and understanding to be able to use those appropriately. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I couldn't say that better. And lastly, we have Vanya who I, I, she's down as envy and that one's, that's another easy one just because she didn't have powers at least to her knowledge for the longest time i mean there's that same scene where they're going for the bank and she's like what can i do and the dad's like stay here because there's no need for you and so she just envies the others and not being able to like why is she in the umbrella academy why is she useful and a lot of the major issues and the end of the world stuff stems from the lack of control and like almost becoming wrathful from that envy but it all stems from just like being envious of not being helpful or not having any powers, which is we learn is not true. Yeah. The other big and only other really theme is father wounds. And so, like I said, this is, you know, the easy trope is that we're all unique and have our own gifts and talents, but we can't really utilize that or come together as this, you know, mystical body in the church. If, the image of the father is stained and that can be stained from actual father wounds, like earthly father wounds. I can be even stained from seeing bad happening and, and like not really connecting with our real, like godly father. Um, that can be stained from pastoral fathers. Like there's a ton of different ways that father wounds are, are, are made, but like, that's what I think you can go through every episode in this whole show and just see like, that's like, this the, the picture they paint and one of the first ones is the whole theme for how they come back together for the the first season and the first episode of the first season might be the first episode it might be 
one of the other ones, but it's called We Only See Each Other at Weddings and Funerals. And that's the title of the episode. And it's this idea of like, look, we're technically related or we're technically siblings by law. And we were raised together. We spent like our lives together. But because we had a terrible father who, who you know, didn't see us as people, saw us as numbers and, and just our special powers, like we hate each other and we hate ourselves. And so we're, we're here because, you know, someone got married or we're here because our dad died. And it reminded me of like the church to where people have gotten so desolate. And I mean, this is even before COVID that we have this like joke about people that come just for Christmas and Easter. Priesters. Yeah. I don't know if you have more on that, but. I think you hit a point that I didn't really think about, but that's, that's very real. A lot of, a lot of our issues do come from a, a lack of knowing our family. And that's something from the very beginning, Christians have called each other brothers and sisters and we're united in our relationship with the father. And that's something I think we've lost sight of. We say those words very casually now to the point of like God, the father, but we don't actually know. And I think a lot of times we don't actually believe what that means. Like he is our father. And we've talked about here before what it means to be adopted. And in our baptism, we're adopted by, by God, the father and what that means in the culture that it was written. That means you are with him forever. He can never get rid of you. Everything he has is, is yours. And in the same way, all seven of these kids were adopted. I think we see like a parallel there of just like, yeah, those daddy issues playing out, but we don't understand the family. We don't understand the family that we're part of. And we have brokenness, maybe because of things we've seen within the church and we leave, we don't come back, or maybe we only come back as priesters, whatever. But I think that's, that's deadly and that's destructive. And especially in the state of the church right now, we need people who are going to be a part of this family and to stand up and defend it. Yeah. And this comes from two main, main things. I mean, they have this disdain for their childhood, like because of this issue, they view their childhood as bad which it was, but because of that, they just, they just carry that with them. Like it's not a cross. There's a difference in a cross, but this is almost like a burden. Like this is something that they could move on from, grow out of as adults, but they choose to just view the rest of their life through the lens of like, my childhood was bad. So I don't like you as my sibling and I, I hate the world. And you know, they, they don't choose to like grow out of that, which is a quote I have a little later on. And the other thing is their dad was kind of trying to create them as like super weapons. He was trying to stop into the world. I might have said something weird, but you can fix me. He's trying to stop into the world. And so he's really honing in on making their powers perfect. And so they're made to be perfect, which you, no one can be perfect. And or they're made to feel like they're not special, like Vanya. Like if they don't have a gift, then there's no use for them at all. Yeah, a, a couple of thoughts. So with your, your first comment there on their childhood and their disdain for that, I think a lot of it stems from the fact that they never addressed any of those issues, they all run from them. Luther literally lived on the moon. Diego goes off on his own. Allison goes off and like covers it with her, her fame and her wealth. Klaus literally hides his feelings through like the drinking and everything. Like, they, they all have this way of running away from their problems and none of them address it until they come together. And that's why they don't like coming together because they don't want to address it. Uh, and we see that they'll come together for like a family meeting and within five minutes they want to leave again because it's hard to address those issues. And the other thing too is one of the clever things, I don't know why I keep comparing this to X-Men, but it just really is, is that this show, what it is, is that they have these powers that they're afraid of and they don't know how to use. And he's just, he's not worried about their emotions. He's just like, you need to be, you need to be able to use it. You need to, be able to use it at any time and to its max. Whereas Professor X goes to these kids where government views them as the way like their dad does and says like, Hey, you were unique and you were special. And I know you were afraid because you don't want this. And I wish I could like take that away from you, but I can't get rid of your gift. Let me help you. So you don't have to be afraid anymore. Like his way of training them is not so they're perfect what they are, but so they recognize who they are and that, if they recognize who they are, they don't have to be afraid. Well, it's more finding perfection within the oddity, within the being strange and, and different, yeah. rather than trying to 
perfect yourself as an object because that's yeah. essentially what the monocle is doing. He's objectifying them and using them as tools. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why he, he numbers them. He never uses their names because they're not human to him. They're just objects for him to use for his, mm-hmm. his plot. And so I have two quotes from the show, first season. I'm just going to read them and you can kind of break them open. The first one is, is from five. It's near the end. They're going to ruin the world or the world's about to ruin. And everyone's wanting to help, but they're like kind of fighting each other and just like, what's the point? And five just says, he says something else, but he follows it with, so if you don't get your sideshow acts together and get, get over yourselves, we're screwed. Who cares if dad messed up? Or are we going to let that define us? Yeah, I think this is exactly what I was just talking about, how they, they don't want to address the issues. They want to run from them. And because of that, not only is it hurting themselves, as you alluded to, it literally caused Armageddon, the end of the right. world, because right. of the issues not being addressed. Yeah. And I think that alludes to also how our sins and our problems don't just affect us. I'm so tired of people saying like, I, I've heard it so much with like, I don't want to wear a mask. It's not my problem. I don't care what your position is. If there's people suffering in this world and you are a Christian, it is your problem period. Like that's what it means to be Christian, to suffer with other people. And so it, it becomes our problem. The things that we do do not just affect us. You know, what's, I think it's first Corinthians, right? Where it talks about how uh, we're all part of one body. If one of us suffers, we all suffer. If one of us rejoices, we all rejoice together. We all want to focus on that rejoicing, but very few of us actually want to focus on the fact that when someone else is suffering, we all should be suffering with them. Yeah. As Christians. I mean, that's what mercy means. Misericordia, where, where, where the heart meets suffering. That's what we are supposed to do as Christians. So that's yeah. what I got. I think this one pretty much is, bleeds into the same exact answer. But Vanya, at one point, I don't remember where in the first season, just asks the rest of them who I think are either trying to stop her or help her or, you know, they're going to go do something with their powers. And she's like, at what cost? Because I watched everything my brothers and sisters could do ruin their lives. And this is yeah. kind of like a flashback from like the powers had as kids to where they are now when they come back. Like, you know, Klaus is a drug addict. Allison's a superstar only because she f- cheated her way to the top and all this stuff. They allowed these seven sins that they each have as a wound control the powers they had and uh, ruin their lives. Yeah, I think this almost goes back to what we said about Ben before, where her... Well, she's envious of the attention that the others get, but then she becomes fearful of what their powers do. And so she's almost like, even if I do have powers, do I want to use them? Because look what the others have done. And so she becomes afraid to embrace who she is because of that. So that's kind of what I'm getting out of that. Yeah. And then really just to wrap this up, that's kind of it. Uh, One of the articles I found kind of looking for seven deadly sins actually cracked open like the Umbrella Academy and the story being like this screaming from the mountaintops of like the Beatitudes and how like it just taught, you know, the Beatitudes of being like, blessed are the poor, blessed are the weak in spirit, blessed are the broken. And that like, if you look at this, these seven, that's who they are. And even with powers and gifts and like having like this superpower thing that I think we, we idolize on screen, like Marvel universe and all that stuff. These are kids with power, but are still, like under the scope of everything addressed in the Beatitudes. And it, the article just ended with what I thought was really beautiful. It was like, blessed are the beaten, the broken, and the blundered, for we shall save the world. And they keep trying to save the world and they keep screwing it up. But luckily, they don't necessarily destroy the world yet or die. And so they keep trying. Hmm. I think that's interesting. You said that's from an article, not from the show? It's from an article. You probably okay. can Google like Umbrella Academy Beatitudes and find it. I really didn't give it a full read, so I don't know if it's worth it, but I can connect it to the show links or I'll do a scan over first or you can do a scan over first. We'll throw some some links in the, the show notes like we always do where you guys can see some of the stuff that Gordon's been looking at for this. One thing I do want to point out though before we kind of wrap things up yeah. is as we we're kind of discussing this, I was thinking about with the father wounds how ultimately what drives each of these siblings is a desire for love that they're not receiving. 
Right. So we have Luther who loves Allison, but can't be with her. Diego, he has a love interest in the second episode, but ultimately even or second season. I mean, even in the first season though, his love that he's desiring comes from his father, but he's not receiving it. He never gets the attention he wants because he's always number two, never number one. But we see the only time where Diego is like a sentimental, like compassionate person is when he's with his, the, his mother because she loved him, but she was a robot. So that like devastated him even more. The other time was when he realized Klaus could see Ben. Yeah. And then Allison, same thing with Luther, but also like well, she, she also has was divorced in the first season. Yeah. She's, she's divorced. She gets remarried in the second season, but she has this thing for attention. So a different form of love where she needs to be loved by everyone that's why she became a celebrity right or control because like the reason she's divorced is she tries to control her own child when the child's being difficult and the dad's like you can't do that so yeah klaus is easy klaus is easy yeah he he has a thing in season one where he meets this guy that he falls in love with and Basically, the next two seasons are about trying to mend that relationship in, in a way. I'm trying not to spoil it, but he's trying to save this person and to reunite that love, but, but he can't be with them because of, of time, essentially. Yeah. Time and traveling. that's just something on the show, not the graphic novels. Oh, okay. I mean, that happens in the graphic novels, but he, he actually ends up having a kid in the graphic novels. Okay. In that timeline. Five. That's actually a pretty easy one, too, because in the full first season, he's walking around with a mannequin because he's alone for so long that he carries a mannequin around that he claims to be like his wife. This is when he's in the future at the end of the apocalypse. And yeah, and that's really less of just like a specific love, but just like the company of love and people. Yeah. And and the lack of receiving it. And that's ultimately what all these come down to is just the fact that they can't have the love that they need. And then Ben... We don't really see much of his need until the second season where he kind of meets someone through being around Klaus. His, his can almost be compared to five where he's, you know, he died as like a kid and it's not until the second season that Klaus lets him interact with the people or the world. Mm-hmm. So it's like this love of community, even though he has it with Klaus, but Klaus is not giving him the time or exactly yeah and the last one is vanya who again is probably the easiest one because she never got love she was ignored by her siblings she was disrespected and ignored by her father and then she has a boyfriend in season one and he turns out to be the villain and then season two she meets a woman who is married and she can't be with her and so there's like this all seven of them are just calling for help screaming for help and they don't get it and ultimately, that's where those seven deadly sins come from is just a lack of, of love, I think. Yeah. And tying that back into our faith, we as Christians believe that God doesn't just love us, that he is love itself. And so when we are lacking God, when, when we're lacking this relationship with him, that's where sin enters, right? Sin itself is a disconnection uh, from God. So I, I think there's an interesting connection there, too. I think that's great. So that's it. I guess that's time for challenges, which I did not prepare. So love. (laughs) Just love someone. Just love. Love. Receive love. Be open to receiving love. I I think there's several different ways we could take this. There's so many. I, I think one that comes to mind, though, is they each have so many different talents. So first off, recognize your talent and don't be like Ben. Act on your talent. And the other thing is, Honestly, think about which of those seven uh, deadly sins are you struggling with? Chances That's are good. it's going to be more than one. It might even be all seven. What did you say? You kind of redefined when I was talking about like how the X-Men and this is different. Kind of. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's in X-Men. It's about learning to accept who you are as being someone that's different mm-hmm. and perfecting perfecting yourself in accepting who you are rather than trying to change yourself or to be some feel like an object. Yeah. 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 So realizing, okay, I'm, I'm not this 
this other being. I'm not this other person. I'm maybe I'm not even normal, whatever normal is. Right. And I think that's a big thing right now in 2020 and moving forward is like, we really cling to our identity, but we use like words for identity. So like, I'm, you know, I'm an artist or I'm a guy or a girl or whatever. And, and this is one of the things I hate on the English language with, because we say, I am all these things. I am hungry. I am whatever I, I am. I am weird. Right. So we, we put this like possessive identity on all of our things, even like with LGBTQ plus, right. I am gay. I am lesbian. I'm putting my identity in that thing rather than just saying it's an experience that I have. I experience hunger. I experience being weird. I am not those things. And so I think there's like that. We need to change our vision just because of the way that we, we use this language, if that makes sense. Yeah, I know that does. So really I was trying to formulate a challenge out of that. I really don't have one, but just like sit with that idea of like, how you speak, view others, or even view yourself. Like what, what identities do you cling to? And like at its core, if you took those away, we couldn't say I am this or that, like, who are you? Yeah. Well, yeah. Just think about like of those things that you would identify yourself, how many of those things are experiences, not identifiers? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So maybe like think about and pray on that. Maybe make a list. Yeah. And ultimately, it'll come come down to the things that are the identifiers are essentially the names that we get from, from God himself in scripture, right? Beloved, chosen, wanted. And I think that's, that's a powerful thing to, to do. Yeah. You have any shout outs? I do, actually. So just yesterday, we had a meeting with our new teen leaders, so the upperclassmen who were confirmed already and going to be leading our youth ministry this upcoming year. And we announced the, I guess, the leaders of the teen leaders. So the, the like council, I guess, and the man himself, Ty Halligan, our number one fan, the sponsor for or one of the patrons for our show was chosen to be El Presidente of the entire program. So shout out to Ty. He's an awesome guy. Wow. Ty, the guy Halligan. There you go. Shout out Ty. That's all I got. As usual, it's almost like a trope now. I really don't have any shout outs. <laughs> I don't. The no shout out shout out. Yeah. All right. Well, in that case, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us on the adventure this week. It really is fun to get to join with you guys every week and, and do this. If you want to learn more about us and about the show or just see what else we've done, we talked about some of the blogs we did. If you really want to see how bad of writers we are, check out our website, thechristinculture.com. There's a lot of stuff there. Uh, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave reviews. It helps us a ton and helps us reach more people. And that can be your way of sharing some love this week. You know, we, we try to be loving and, and sharing the, the gospel in different ways on this show. And that can be a small way of you doing that. So just leave us a review, like, share with others, all that stuff. If you want to reach us, you can do so from our website. You can email us at thechristinculture at gmail.com. You can get to us on Twitter at ontheadventure 2 or on Facebook or YouTube at The Christian Culture. And that, I believe, is it. So we appreciate you guys. We are praying for you. And we'll see you next week. Bye.